0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the IFT Side Dish podcast, a podcast that brings you the great stories and insights from across the world of food science and technology. I'm your host, Bruce Perkin, and today we're going to be talking about the fuzzy front end of product innovation. Many companies strive for competitive advantage by seeking to innovate into new products or new versions of existing products. And if a business wants to do that, the key question that first needs to be answered is where to start what is it that we're trying to develop and why are we doing that? This edition of IFT Side Dish Podcast will help food professionals gain an appreciation for some of the tools and techniques that are used to seek direction and clarity in that fuzzy front end of the new product development process. And hopefully we'll enable food scientists to more actively contribute to product innovation while participating as members of cross-functional teams. Today I'm joined by an excellent expert panelist who will share her success stories and help us identify strategies to stay relevant in this fast-paced and ever-evolving marketplace our guest today is amy shipley the managing director and partner with the sterling rice group based in boulder colorado the sterling rice group is both a full-service advertising agency strategy and insights think tank and a culinary powerhouse focused around innovation. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the IFT Side Dish Podcast. Let's get us started today, and can I ask you to tell us a little bit about your background and your experiences in food innovation, and what brought you to this space of innovation in the first place?
1: Thanks, Bruce. It's uh, great to be here with you and, and the whole group from IFT. Yeah, I think I have one of the coolest jobs in the industry. So I'll I'll start out by saying that. I've been in the food and beverage industry for close to 30 years. And I started out in advertising, traditional advertising out in San Francisco, a great food town in and of itself. And then moved on to a firm called Ketchum, which is a big public relations firm that taught me a lot about food and beverage. Um, In fact, they're one of the first agencies in the world, actually, to develop a test kitchen um, in San Francisco and that's that was with the likes of James beard and, and some pretty famous folks back there back then so they devoted much of their focus on to food and beverage and that really got me into the industry and you know I work in both consumer marketing but also um, b2b food service obviously retail and ingredient marketing and it's important I think I really love being able to work across all these different kind of channels. In all the work we do and i also work with a lot of number of 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 global brands that we we know and love and i also work with a lot of commodity boards and associations both here in the us and abroad and that's really helped me a get uh, you know fall in love with the business who doesn't love working the food business but also have a fundamental understanding not just about um, how to to grow a brand and think about innovation for brands but also how to think about the supply channel and and where we're getting and sourcing our ingredients. So that's really been my background. I joined SRG about five years ago, really interesting agency here. We have about 130 people uh, based in Boulder, Colorado, but we work all over the world with big companies and a lot of entrepreneurial companies getting into the food and beverage scene. About 80% of our work is food and beverage. And so that's kind of where my world lives. That's where I spend most of my time. And we do everything from product innovation, from its infancy, the ground up, research and insights. And then some of our clients lean into other areas such as design, environmental design, we design restaurants all over the world, and also our communications practice. So things like advertising and media and digital and all those good things. So I I sort of have a full, full circle view, if you will, of the food and beverage industry and I'm just I'm thrilled to be here and talk to you. I've, I've been working with IFT for, I think, 25-plus years, and it's wonderful to see how the, the industry continues to evolve.
0: So not only do you have one of the coolest jobs in the world, but you work at one of the coolest companies in the world with one of the uh, coolest locations in the world. You, you've got the, uh, the triple whammy going on there, Amy. That's amazing. So the, um, uh, it would be impossible for us to have any decent conversation um, without referencing you know, the biggest impact that's uh, been upon us uh, for the last 12 months, which is the pandemic. So that impact is, is hard to, to really wrap your hands around. And, and so from your perspective, can I ask you to tell us what you've seen and what position you think the industry is in right now in relation to product innovation?
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a wonderful question. It obviously been extremely trying for everyone all over the world the last year plus. You know, as we sp- start to emerge, we're starting to see some trends as well. So I'll, I'll kind of dial back to, you know, all of us in March of, of 2020, when this all came about and seemingly the world came to an end or at least a halt for a few weeks. You know, what was interesting is that We started to see um, food service, obviously, we do a lot of work in the food service arena, took a big hit really early on. Retail was interesting because obviously we saw retail sales starting to go through the roof. uh, And we also saw a lot of companies in panic mode because on the CPG side, Prior to COVID, there was we saw a slowing kind of pattern of innovation overall. And partly, I believe, is the number of mergers that were happening with different major companies. When you know you think about the crafts of the world and other major companies acquiring companies to kind of get in the innovation game. And what that did was it it took cash out of their pocket. And so we weren't seeing companies, especially in retail, spending The way they had been spending and investing in innovation, true innovation for their current product lines. And boy, did that change after March. So we saw a lot of folks obviously get caught pretty flat footed. And we saw an infusion in cash and a a big focus on research and insights immediately by many of our clients, large and small. And when I say research and insights, uh, we saw them start asking us about future proofing you know, boy, if this ever happens again, how can we prevent it? How can we think about all the different, you know, future scenarios that we need to think about in, in relation to our brand, but also from an innovation standpoint, like they just didn't have the kind of products the consumers were looking for on store shelves. They weren't as evolved as they needed to be. And interestingly enough, within weeks, we also saw the food service industry take a pivot. So, In some way, it almost made people take time to pause and versus all of us running a million miles an hour like we all do, to take time to really sit back and think about what was needed. What were we not taking time for prior to March of 2020 that we really, you know, we weren't minding the store that we should be paying attention to? that we needed to think about our innovation track. We needed to think about co- how consumers were changing. We needed to think about the future. So even in the restaurant business, you know, we saw obviously a, a big um, turn towards delivery, which was already growing rapidly. But then there was a much greater investment in delivery and then of course a lean into ghost kitchens and commissaries and other areas. And that that creates a lot of opportunity for manufacturers, whether selling into food service or retail. We also saw a turn towards more value-added products, even though the economy obviously was tanking and there was a willingness to pay a little bit more for products, which was interesting. And I think that helped a lot of folks kind of see the, the end of the tunnel. So that's some of the good that's coming out of the pandemic. And Bruce, as you know, I think it's amazing to me. We see this during recessions, and I certainly don't want to compare a recession to what's happened last year, but that was part of it. But when recessions happen, they're very bad, but good things happen. It's like us being out in Colorado and having these terrible wildfires, and folks in California having these wildfires. You see, there's growth that comes from it and innovation. And what I'm sort of being the Pollyanna about is I'm so thrilled to live during a time when I've seen the folks innovate faster than ever as a result of the pandemic. Things we thought we could never do that would take months, if not years, happened in weeks. And I think that's rather an extraordinary outcome of of the situation we've we've found ourselves in.
0: Yeah, an amazing acceleration of uh, a a lot of things that have been bubbling along in the background. And, you know, if you look just in terms of the um, uh, the. Supermarkets and and the transition to uh, online shopping and those sorts of things has just accelerated so fast. You did say something in there that that did twig my imagination, and I'm I'm trying to work out what you really meant by it. So I'd like to go back and and just dig a little more around the the concept of. Mining the store—it's a really interesting phrase. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means to you, and and how that brings value to uh, the product innovation space?
1: Well, I think that the idea is um, that folks really step back to really think about how consumers have been involved in changing, and also thinking about their, you know, the product lineup. Were they really developing products that were meeting the changing needs of, of consumers? You know, um, were they reacting to consumers? Or are they trying to get ahead of consumers? And I think that's that's kind of an interesting trend to think about when we when you talk about consumer insights. Is consumer insights are important, but you know, none of us knew that we needed the iPhone, right? It's a famous example. You know, as much as we did until it was here. And so there's sort of a ballet. There's sort of a grace and beauty in product innovation and trying to understand when you mind the store of what you have today, what consumers. Potentially looking for what their needs are, you know, what's the problem to solve, as we all famously say. But more importantly, like, why? Like, what is the why behind all of that? What is causing these changes? And, you know, is it, are you being impacted with the environment, technology, politics? You know, all those things impact the decisions we make as consumers. Um, and I think we all took a really long sip of cold water. <laughs> during this time and sat back and thought about what do we um, what, what do we really what do we really stand for and um, where do we see this company going in, in some cases or where do we see our product kind of line shifting?
0: So there's been a lot of shift and you know we use the word pivot probably too much these days, but there has been a lot of shift and a lot of what we'd call innovation across this last 12 months. How relevant do you think innovation will be as we start to emerge from the pandemic?
1: I think it's going to be absolutely critical. I think that it's going to be super fast. I don't think the need for speed um, is going anywhere. I think in, in in many cases, it's going to accelerate. And I think that even look at the world of plant based, Bruce. Um, today's Tuesday, but on yesterday I saw even three new companies in earnest entering the plant-based space, and that, that space is getting really cluttered really fast. So I think there's a lot of companies that were just on the edge of coming forward before all of this, and they're they're they're, they're now there's again pent up demand to go out to concerts, pen up demand, do a lot of things, pen up demand to like launch some new products and get in the marketplace. I think innovation is going to be one of the keys to crack the code for many of these companies' future success. That's, that's for sure. But it's not just innovation for innovation's sake. There's so much more to it in terms of positioning and messaging and what you stand for and where you're heading. And to, I know most, if not all of the clients I have now um, are focused on both short, midterm, and long-term innovation pipelines and making sure they have them in place.
0: So, so given that we're now really into talking about innovation uh, and that how important it's going to be, what's your view about how to stimulate uh, innovation within a food business? How do you get everybody engaged and motivated to get behind the, uh, the innovation engine?
1: yeah it's a great question, and to me that that's the fun part you know we it's the insights, it's the discovery. it's sort of phase one of the whole process. It's kind of like sitting down and and you know when you get a new bo- board game, and for all of us that have gotten into board games last year, setting all the pieces out, and kind of figuring out where you're at, um reading the directions if you will, but then Figuring out the game a bit, um, and how we set the game board at SRG is we start with with a lot of those consumer insights. As I mentioned, we do stakeholder interviews. Research is good, but stakeholder interviews with key targets is really fundamental. Um, I think that's really, really important. We look a lot of secondary research as well. And what's critical is like, that's the puzzle. You know, I just had a client the other day talk about one piece of research as the answer. And I'm like, no, that's part of the puzzle. But the truth lies somewhere in between. And that's why it's important to gather insights from just various sources. And as you know, a good strategist would do is start to unpack that and find where the truth lies. And that innovation, okay, so we have a certain line and we need to, we think it's still really viable, but we can extend it in this ways, or there's a need for this new product or service offering in some cases. So we always start with kind of that discovery phase. We do kind of a landscape analysis, and then we come down to um, an opportunity map. We also have overlaid, which we always have, but now it's more important when I mentioned before, future proofing. Okay. So now start doing some scary and maybe exciting (laughs) future um, scenarios and how the world could change again, right? And plotting ourselves there and sort of mapping all of that out as part of that discovery phase. That's how we start to uncover kind of what the opportunities are that, you know, I hate to use the word white space because we overuse it, but it's, we're looking for that white space where there's opportunity to grow, we also use something if we want to stick with the world of food and beverage on the culinary side called Culinary Shifts, which is IP that SRG updates every year. And we just presented a presentation yesterday for the blueberry industry, and it was like mind blowing them to, to see where blueberries could go, for example, um, using a tool called Culinary Shifts. And what that does is it essentially looks at at what I mentioned, those steep factors, you know, with societal factors, the environment, technology, politics, and studies what's happening in the world today, what we think is going to happen tomorrow. And then we overlay that with food trends. And it's not just, hey, what's going to be trending next and will it stick? What culinary shifts help us do as marketers is figure out the why why was ramen for example on the noodle side why did ramen come on the scene so quickly and why did it stick and why did it grow why did megan markle when she got married have bowls at her wedding versus different plates And people are like oh cool and trendy i'm like no it wasn't the reason she had bowls really if you think about it is bowls are what they're comforting you know they're global in nature but they're also comforting and who needed to be comforted most so you have to dig down and get really empathetic to dig 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 down to those trends ramen ramen is global ramen is comforting right ramen is communal so it was tapping into a lot of trends that all of us as consumers were yearning for and so we like to say we have shifts such as food rx which is more prescriptive food right global cuisine all those types of things but when you think about a product we like to say the more shifts that a product falls into, the more it can identify with, the longer timeline it's going to have in the marketplace. And that's how we start to identify those future places to play. And then more importantly, does it have potential for longevity?
0: So there's a lot to unpack in that lot, but you did talk a lot about trends. Yet we also know that sometimes what appears to be on the face of it, a trend, turns out to be a fad and is gone tomorrow, very short lifespans. How can we tell the difference between a trend and a fad? And in your view, what are the really big trends that we need to be paying attention to?
1: Yeah, and I think that's what shifts gets to. Um, again, if if you look at those major movements in food, that helps you figure out what's, what's trending versus, you know, like a certain flavor of Frappuccino that you might get at at Starbucks, right? You know, what's, what's a fleeting moment and what's going to stick around and, you know, those crazy Frappuccinos that my teenagers get at Starbucks, you know, they're cool, but what they're, what they're really about is uh, we call it sensationalism. So that's food that's like over the top. It's crazy. It's Instagram worthy. Etc. cetera. But that falls into one area, right? But if you have different trends that you're playing into, you're tapping into, not just sensationalism, but it's also global, or it's also communal, or you could share it. That's where we see if we have multiple inputs, if you will, or consumer trends touching something, that's going to give it more longevity than just being a flash in the pan. Um, and that's what I'm most interested in, because I'm asked to declare, you know, what's a trend, you know, what's going to be, what's going to, be on the trend, you know, what's trending next. Um, and I will talk about that, but I, I do like to say like, why, like, why is it trending? Like, what are people doing? What are people thinking to make it what it is today? So like food with integrity, that's a big one. As we go into, um, you know, 2021, 20, obviously where we're at in 2022 and 2023, it's going to be a big moment. We're going to see a lot Come forward, and we're seeing a lot of that in the, in the restaurant industry. We're seeing a lot in fashion, a lot of different industries with different products coming from various groups, different cultures, different ethnicities, and that's really being highlighted right now, which which is long overdue, obviously.
0: Yeah. So, so that was really interesting. You're talking about you know global things and things that affect societal and communal things. It it occurs to me that you're now starting to get into. Trends are, are more associated with deep human connections. Is, is, would that be consistent with how? What a, an interesting way to look at how to identify a trend rather than a fad.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly what the culinary shifts sort of profits. It, it's those deep, very deep human connections. We also look at something we've IP that's called um, SRG life drivers and they're different you think about like joy or integrity or empowerment, all these different kind of human fundamentals. There's nine of them that we kind of lean towards. And all of us could go through all those feelings, if you will, in one day alone. But when we're starting to think about product development and even product messaging and positioning and brand identity, we start to plot where companies and where their products fall. Along those those uh, different areas in life drivers, which which are all based on human emotions, for example, in plant based, you see a tremendous amount of companies playing in the integrity space, which is smart, right? It makes sense, good for the planet, good for me. But then you see this glut, and we just had a client who's getting ready to launch some new products, and they're getting ready to play in the joy space, which was like in release space, which is. More like say where a Corona beer traditionally would play, but their take on it is more like just relax, man. It's just it's just food. Just enjoy, love. You know, and you could understand the ingredient label. You can understand how it's made. So we use a lot of those different kind of tools to uncover those um, human emotions that that really get to sales. Because ultimately, this this really is about sales in the end, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So again, that's, that takes me to the, the idea of when we're linking deep human connections to, to real products, it, it brings up the idea of consumer insights. Now, we all hear a lot about consumer insights, and it seems to be one of those gray areas that people don't truly understand. And we're we're asked to unlock a powerful consumer insight as we're tracking towards our innovations to give them a sound basis, in fact. So can I ask you to tell us what, in your mind, in your terms, what a consumer insight is? And in your experience, where's the best place to look for them?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a multitude. Where to look for consumer insights is a multitude of places, as I mentioned. It's It's you know, it's going it's doing obviously proprietary consumer research against your target to understand kind of where they're at, meeting them where they are today it's also doing those as i mentioned interviews with different um, whether it's retailers or ingredient manufacturers or food service operators or directly with consumers to understand where they are and then looking at some secondary research And and that bruce i think is where the truth lies and that's what gets you to an insight that and it's not just an insight what you're looking for are consumer insights that will have impact So I was with another client the other day who, you know, we have multiple opportunities and challenges with a particular produce product they work on. And I said, yeah, but let's, where can we have the most impact based on the consumer insights that we have now? What can we do to actually make a difference? Because most, if not all of us who are listening to this podcast, we don't have all the resources in the world. So the trick is where to focus, like what consumer insights do we focus on. And then, how how can we impact them, both in the short, mid, mid, and long term? And I think unpacking what exactly is a consumer insight is, you know, something that is um, potentially actionable, something that you haven't seen before, something that will, you know, impact your future. And then, where to place your bets again c- gets back to, you know, what kind of impact can you have? On Sometimes you have insights, and there's nothing you could do, you know. They're they're interesting and but they, their relevancy in relation to what you do is is not there.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and we're working also a lot in. You asked about future trends. We're doing a tremendous amount of work, as everyone can imagine, in cell based, and we worked with Impossible Foods, and we've worked with a variety of different plant based companies, and we're working on cellular aquaculture now with a company based out in California. And doing a lot of research with both consumers and, and retailers and food service operators to get at those consumer insights about an industry that doesn't even exist, right? It has no, there's very little context for someone to, you know, come back to when you ask them questions. And it could be, obviously, in, in the new world of food, kind of scary. Like, what is this crazy, like, frankenfood stuff? Um, but what was interesting is that... Um, We, the reason why a lot of these companies are coming about, not all of them, but many of them is to, for a higher purpose or mission. Um, and, and that's where consumers can identify, like there's issues with the environment, right? Um, a certain crop is not sustainable. We need to feed the world so they can identify sort of a higher level and then come down to this and say, okay, well, if that's going to solve this and I'm open to listening to more, and then you dig deeper but that is the most interesting when you get consumer insights against a product or a category that 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 is beyond people's imagination at this point
0: interesting so moving beyond people's imagination talks to that the whole reason why we're getting together today that fuzzy front end of that innovation space and that transition from how you get out of that fuzz down into something that's really really concrete is is there really Simple tools that we can apply that will help people transition out of this concept and higher purpose and deep human connections into something that really is actionable. What, what are the some simple tools that we can use to actually translate that fuzz into something concrete?
1: Yeah, and the fuzz, you know, for some is great, and for others it's frustrating, you know, because that's
0: (laughs) isn't it. (laughs) You
1: (laughs) you need to be able to to really let go and and stay 100% curious as you're in that fuzzy area, and that's to me where the magic happens. And oftentimes, if you allow yourself to stay there, even with an innovation brief, which I know many of us probably use on this on this call. What I always say is just be ready to break the brief, to go off road, to go vote rogue, because that's really where true innovation happens. You think you, you go in looking for a certain product or a certain extension or a certain flavor or a certain something, and all of a sudden it twists on your head and you find something new. That's like true innovation. And I think with f- um, the fuzzy part of it, we, we use a, a process that we've coined abstract invention, and the simple premise of it is, if you all know, when you do innovation, you're, also, you're often in this linear process where you have everyone like together, you know, on the innovation R&D team and research, you know, over on the left. And then as soon as you start innovating, you start moving across the, the continuum and you come down to, okay, these are the products we think we want to focus on and, and you go through the whole process. And what we have found at SRG is that our clients, again, need for speed. Um, can't wait, you know, a month, two months, three months, four months for product innovation tracks to happen. And so the concept of abstract invention brings everyone that would be on that continuum, everyone who's going to touch an innovation product project comes to the front of the store, so to speak, comes to the front end and takes part in that, um, that research and insight download and that creative concepting and that white space, that fuzzy part you're talking about. And what that leads to is getting to solutions much faster. I've seen people come up with advertising campaigns for products that don't even exist today, but it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog to say, yeah, but it's a great idea. And it gets you there Mm -hmm. a lot faster. Um, And so that's part of the answer when you say, "How how do we like move out of this fuzzy area is make sure you have the right people at the table who come from different parts of the company, who can actually activate. Um, The other part with the fuzzy into the reality is, you know, obviously we do some product testing. Sometimes um, we're coming out of that to say, you know, is this concept worth exploring? Um, And that's both good and bad because again, consumers don't know what they don't know. Um, So we often just go into testing, especially when it's food and beverage products. Um, We'll let our R&D food scientists or our culinologists or our chefs kind of go really play in the kitchen with protoceps or just ideas. Um, And that really helps us um, get to that distillation process. And the distillation process is critical um, because you have to come back to the truth about where you can have the greatest impact. You know, how will it really move the needle? And sometimes it's not sales. Sometimes it's ideas or products that will help create buzz or give you cred or credibility in the industry. So you really need the whole, especially the C-suite and the folks making the decisions and signing checks, in there at the front end to help you kind of get to the get to the next level. That was a very long answer, Bruce, but I, I hope it helped a little bit.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's it's all it's all good because you know you're you bringing up is this concept of how you get everybody all on board and all all understanding the same challenge and and signing off on the same finished product that you you want to put into the marketplace and that talks to you know you, you just mentioned that you're bringing people in at the early stage even in the C suite one of the tools that that I know you've used and 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 I've had the good fortune of being on one of them is Is the um, when you're exploring that fuzzy front end is the uh, the market tour where you go and have a go into a market and you have a look at all the new products that happen to be in that particular market in restaurants and sometimes in the, the more innovative food stores and what have you and and you all together look at that stuff and start to to distill out where the where the real excitement is that sometimes looks. To to the outside observer as a bit of a jolly and a bit of a bit of a fun activity that doesn't seem to generate a lot and, and more about team building rather than anything else. What's your view on how you communicate uh, one of these market tours to senior executives so they understand why they're spending that money and 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 I guess a, a follow up question already is what's the most surprising thing you've seen in one of these market tours. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and um, I think we call it boondoggles here in Boulder, you know, right?
0: <laughs> boondoggles um, is a good description. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I I love the question. We we I came up with an idea about 15 years ago that we we do we've adopted at SRG called SRG Street Dives, and that's what you're speaking out of those immersions into marketplaces. And the reason why we started them is between all the research decks that we have and. All the primary and secondary research that we do and all the knowledge we have, in the industry. There is nothing better than getting up, you know, from your desk or behind the stove or out of your lab to see what the, what, what the heck is really going on. And we're often looking for, you know, what I, I say is the underbelly of the culinary world, things that people aren't writing about entrepreneurs that are, you know, a lot of the um, as we have today, a lot of the um, food startups and different incubators where you can actually where they're all together, you can actually go in and see what these guys are thinking and saying. And even if a product, let's say we're working with a company that's focused on, you know, CPG, I will look at everything, everything. We'll even go into adjacent categories. We'll go to museums. We'll go to different places where we're getting ideas from fashion and art and history that could impact the channel. And it's the only way in my mind to really get ahead of it all. And you bring that input back. And it's not the be it end all, but it's an important part of understanding on um, those inputs when you're, when you're starting the innovation process and allowing people to think freely. And for a lot of the execs, you know, for folks that are like, is this really meaningful? Which we hear all the time. A, you've got to bring them on the tour. That's number one. Number two is sometimes we disguise these tours where we will do them on behalf of a company going after a prospect. So if they have a prospect, they're having a hard time getting into meeting with. Um, Let's say I had a client who really wanted to speak with Kellogg's for years and they were just having the hardest time breaking through. And I'm like, well, why don't we do an immersion for them? Um, And that'll, and you can come together. It's not about sales, you know, it's about not this hard sales, but it's about creating an equal, everyone's on equal footing, talking about education and seeing things. And I call it kind of a creative collective because once everyone gets together, like all the barriers and walls come down. This particular client, we've done it multiple times. Was able to connect very deeply, um, and then also have all these wonderful side conversations about what the needs are for this company and and how they could really help. And it was just it changed the the complete game. So you come at it less from sales but more from an educational standpoint. That helps immensely. And then of course you know the C suite sees sales opportunities, they see things moving, but including them in these tours is important. And again, it's not just going out and seeing what's cool and writing about it, or like taking, you know, a few photographs or, you know, loading them on Instagram. We actually do innovation exercises when we're in market. So even though people are having fun, and it should be fun, food is like so much fun. If you're not having a blast, then it's not successful. Um, but we do exercises, so they're they're playing games. They're thinking about. Um, I'll never forget taking in one of the largest sandwich companies in the world to Whole Foods when they first had their headquarters stores down in Austin, and thinking about, well, if this restaurant turned into Whole Foods, what would it look like? And we had, you know, within minutes, 7,500, 200 ideas that are were business ideas, not even related to the menu, but more business ideas on how that particular chain could evolve, that we were able to bring back to the C-suite that kind of blew their mind. So, you know, it forces you to think in different ways, but you've got to make the tours just work harder. And um, also, we also tape a lot of them and um, create all these different experiences virtually. So the lucky few that get to go on the physical tour then can bring it back um, and share with a broader group and really inspire people based on what they saw. The other part of it that's super critical is not just what you're putting in your mouth, um, but the stories that you hear from the entrepreneurs or the vendors or the retailers or the chefs, whoever you're speaking with, on why they started, what they're seeing, what why they started, what they're what they're doing, and also more importantly, what they're seeing from customers. You know, again, it's that consumer insight of like, yeah, people don't want that. <laughs> they say they want that. They didn't want that, um, and yeah, yeah. so, this is what I'm lining up. So all of that is in a more dynamic innovation and insights process to get to where you need to go.
0: Right, yeah. And that sort of takes us to the this concept of, you know, the future. So Crystal Ball Time, what's your view on what we're going to be eating and how we might be accessing our food in the future?
1: Yeah, well I'll start um, in one area that we we haven't touched on yet, which is packaging. <laughs> I think packaging, <laughs> we, we all see that through much of the takeout that we've probably imbibed in the last year or plus. But the world of packaging is going to evolve like critically. We call it like packaging is the new plating. And we're going to see a lot of new innovation come forward in that in that um, in that space, which I think is interesting. I think the idea of on the food service side of the business, you know, smaller menus is what we're seeing for sure. More, more concepts focused on a single ingredient, you know, we've seen that a little bit with like fried chicken and things like that. So real, real focus is going to be important. And we also see the ghost kitchen, like the commissaries, um, labor is such a major issue in, in all of our industries, whether it's CPG or food service, but labor is especially an issue as, as we emerge from COVID. So the idea of just getting rid of a restaurant in and of itself and thinking about it completely differently and, and delivering that experience differently, it's going to be really interesting, especially as we think about brand positioning. And that's going to be um, fascinating. And I mentioned cell-based. I think that is to stay. And and plant-based is going to evolve. Plant-based, I think, is becoming a very cluttered space. And we're going to see a lot of folks start to fall out, I believe, in 21 and 22. And some of the stronger companies emerge from that. So it's going to be interesting to see how plant-based evolves. Taste is a big part in that mix with plant. Um, We're just not seeing, I call it tasty healthy. Um, You've got to sort of blend that combination of health and wellness taste and convenience um, and you know why should all of us as, as consumers settle for one or the other so I think that's really a sweet spot for the future of plant-based
0: yeah so that's some amazing thoughts there and I, I, I this concept of plating as the new packaging is going to stay with me for quite some time That is, that is a real gem so thank you very much for that Amy I appreciate it and I think that's about all we have time for today so I very much appreciate your time and I'd uh, like to thank you very much for everything you've, you've brought to us today, Amy, and uh, thank also the SRG Group in Colorado for uh, allowing you, you to take this time out to spend with us today. We really appreciate your time and sharing your insights with us.
1: Always a pleasure, Bruce. Thanks so much. And shout out to the whole IFT team.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks also to everyone who is listening to this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Amy today. And also hope that you will join us for future editions of IFT's Side Dish podcast, where we will aim to bring you insights and great stories from across the field of food science and technology. If you're enjoying Side Dish, please let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or by connecting with IFT. You can find us on Twitter using the at IFT handle, and by searching the Institute of Food Technologists on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more on this subject, fuzzy front end of innovation, or any other subject for that matter relating to food, be sure to visit our website at ift.org and type in the subject you're interested in in the search box to gain a ton of access to all sorts of resources. Thank you for listening to Side Dish. I'm your host, Bruce Perkin. Have a great day, everyone.